with us uh, again. Let me say that all of our lessons here, uh, if you want to order a CD, they're free. Just go onto our website at delreader.org. All of these lessons are also live streamed, and so you can go back and see them again on YouTube. Just search Delreader Church of Christ, and there they'll be. So uh, be sure and take advantage of that. So without saying anything further, let's now turn it over to our speaker for the day. It is certainly my pleasure to be with you uh, tonight. I think I was invited to come before Will and Lacey moved down to Mobile, so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I made that cutoff. Um, we are delighted to have them in Mobile, but we are sad that they left here because they obviously love the family here, but they love this church. And, and if they love this church, that makes me love it even more. Heard great things about Dalreda through the years. And uh, it's a joy to be with you. And it's really uh, selfish that I'm enjoying being here because I get to be with my son and daughter and my new, newest son-in-law and with family and friends, friends who are like family. So thank you for the opportunity uh, to, to be with you uh, tonight. I bring you greetings from Blaine Chasen. Blaine wanted to come with me, Doug. Um, but he wanted to stay and teach his class. But also, I think another reason why he didn't come is he's already sustained an injury while working as youth minister at Creekwood uh, in a hazardous sport. It's called disc golf. Disc golf. <laughs> Apparently, he stepped wrong, landed wrong, broke his foot, had to have surgery. He's riding on a scooter, and facial expression this, this morning when I saw him, he's tired of that scooter already. But... He also loves this church and, and wanted me to, to, to send greetings from, from him. So thank you again for the opportunity uh, to be with you tonight. When's the last time you ever stood in awe of something? I picked a picture of, of mountains because I grew up in West Texas and now I live in Mobile where it's relatively flat. I've only been to the mountains and when I say the mountains, I mean the Smokies. I haven't been out to see the Rockies. That's on my bucket list. But whenever I go to the mountains, I am in awe because of the scenery um, that you can see there. It's something that, that I just haven't had the opportunity to see very much. When is the last time you stood in awe at, at something? There are also five other occasions where among other times, but these are five occasions when I stood in awe. Four of those when were, were the times that each of our children were born. I stood in awe, couldn't speak, so thankful. Fifth time, what was it, Doug? When the grandson was born. I couldn't speak then either. When's the last time you stood in awe? I must be pushing the wrong button. I looked up the word awe, and Merriam-Webster says it's an emotion uh, variously combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or uh, by the sacred or sublime. I was given the topic of 
keeping God in all. Keeping God in all. And in your summer series, I understand it's based on the Ten Commandments. And what do the Ten Commandments mean to us today? Because as Christians, we live under a better, a new covenant and a better covenant. So how are we to view the Ten Commandments? One thing I would hope that we'll keep in mind is the Ten Commandments in the Law of Moses was given to Israel. I like to pose the question at times, uh, are we still under the old law? And the correct answer is no, and we never were, because it was given to Israel. But at the same time, we need to consider the Ten Commandments and look at the eternal principles behind the Ten Commandments that were true then and will always be true. The third commandment is, is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The eternal principle behind that command, positively stated, could be stated, keep God in all. Keep God in all. Don't use his name in the wrong way. And when we say the name of God, we're refer referring to the person of God. So positively stated, the eternal principle is keep God in, in awe. And that's what I want us to focus on this evening is how, how can we continue to keep God in awe? And what is it about God that should evoke awe from us? I just want to remind you of, of three ways, three, three things about God that should bring awe to us. The first one is the holiness of God. We should be in awe of the holiness of God. A classic text to me is Isaiah chapter 6. And this passage, the background is it's about 739 B.C., a long time ago. Isaiah is the prophet, and the king Isaiah, one of the good kings of Judah, has just died. And so there is the absence of a king, and so there, there is some turmoil here. And, and the Assyrians are about to come in and overtake, overtake them. And so there, there is a troublesome time here, but there's comfort found in this vision that Isaiah sees. So notice with me in Isaiah 6 some things that Isaiah saw in this vision. The first things that he sees is the greatness of God. Look with me, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Notice that King Uzziah had died, but there was still someone sitting on the throne. And that throne was a heavenly throne, and the one occupying that throne is God. So there is still a king who is still all-powerful, still, still reigning. And so Isaiah, when he sees this vision, is reminded of that. There is still a king, and it's our God. He saw the royalty of God. He saw the magnificence of God. His, his train, the train of his robe, filled the temple. I like to view it as that which filled the temple was just the hem of his garment. It doesn't even reveal the whole magnificence of God. 
But another thing that Isaiah sees in this vision is the holiness of God. And he sees it in a very unique way. Verses 2 and 3. Above it stood two stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. These seraphim, literally burning ones, only time it's mentioned in, in the Scripture. These creatures, and, and they have these wings, and, and they cover their face and their feet. And, and it, even their posture depicts the message that they have. And what they're crying out about is the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In the Hebrew, when something is repeated like that, it's for emphasis. Most holy is the Lord of hosts, is the idea. Most holy is the Lord of hosts. He also sees in this vision, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And those would signify the power, again, and the presence of God. But think about what he saw, what he heard the seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What comes to mind when you think of, of holy? Holy. The idea is set apart. And totally set apart in His holiness is God. By His very nature, He can have nothing to do with sin. And you read through the Scriptures and you can find a lot of Old Testament examples of when people didn't respect the holiness of God and they suffered severe consequences. What about Nadab and Abihu? They didn't offer things to God in the way that God had prescribed and so their lives were snuffed out. What about Moses? You remember when God told him, of course Moses is aggravated with the people of Israel, they want water again. God says, just speak to the rock and water will come forth. I see Moses in anger, don't you? He strikes the rock instead. And water comes forth. But Moses has sinned against God. And the language that is given in Numbers 20 is, it's because he did not hallow God before the people of Israel. He didn't respect and reverence the holiness of God. And because of that, he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. We need to be in awe of the holiness of God. It's used in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, describing the Lord as dwelling in unapproachable light. The light is so glorious, so bright, that, that, that it's unapproachable. And that, to me, describes also God's, God's holiness. He's so pure, so bright, if you will, that we need to be in awe of it. So stand in awe of the holiness of God. And I think we see that in Isaiah's response. When he sees this vision in, in which the, the holiness of God is displayed, you remember his response? Verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
I am a man of unclean lips, and I, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When he saw this magnificent vision in which the holiness of God was emphasized, he said, woe is me. Do a study sometime of reactions when people saw or caught a glimpse of the glory of God. And you'll find similar responses. Ezekiel sees a, a vision that represents the glory of God. And Ezekiel says when he saw that, he fell down on his face. When John the Revelator sees a vision of Christ, Revelation chapter 1, his response is when he saw that glorious vision, I fell down as one who is dead. That's the response to the holiness of God. You remember when Simon Peter, Jesus instructs him to, though they've been fishing all night, cast out your nets again. And, and Simon Peter is saying, Lord, we fished all night, but at your word I'll do it. And so when they did, they filled up the boat with fish. You remember Simon Peter's re reaction? Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Whenever people caught a glimpse of the glory of God in Scripture, what they saw in themselves was their own unworthiness. That's what Isaiah sees when he sees the holiness of God displayed, he senses his own unworthiness. Folks, we need to stand in awe of the holiness of God. Secondly, we need to stand in awe of the power of God. The power of God. Here's a few verses. I'm going to point you to the heavens for a few moments. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Psalm 19, verse 1. The psalmist speaks about the creations. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. Two verses later, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. God spoke the world into existence. He created the heavens and the earth by just speaking it. We should stand in awe of the power of God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that one of God's invisible attributes that's made known through the creation is His, is His power. His power. And yes, I want you to think about the heavens in particular. I want you to look at the stars with me. I love this passage from Isaiah chapter 40. To whom then will you liken me, God asks. Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. And he's speaking of the stars. The stars. How many stars are there? I googled it. Googled it. I ran across an article uh, on CNN.com, and these scientists in Australia had used two of the world's most powerful telescopes, and they zoomed in on this one strip of sky. 
And they tried to do their best to count the number of galaxies and then by the, the brightness tried to estimate the number of stars in that one strip of sky and then multiplied it by how many strips would it would be to fill up the rest of the sky. And the number that they came up with was 70,000 million, million, million. That's 70 sextillion. That's a seven followed by 22 zeros. And that's only as far as the telescopes can see. And you think about that, that's mind-boggling to me. But it's mind-boggling to me, not only at the power that God used in creating these things, but you see what Isaiah says? He calls them all by what? By name. We should be in awe of the power of God. Psalm 147, verse 4, he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. There's an astronomer that said this. Who can study the science of astronomy and contemplate the starlit heavens with the knowledge of the dimensions of the celestial bodies, their movements and their enormous distances, without bowing his head in reverence? to the power that brought this universe into being and safely guides its individual members. There's an astronomist that says you can't explain these things without acknowledging that they had to be created by a powerful creator. And the starry host speaks to the power of God, but also His precision. I want to tell you about something that happened to Haley and me. Haley, our youngest daughter, and me about 10 years ago in your city. I accompanied Haley and uh, her fourth grade class to Montgomery. I'm, the fuzzy part of my memory is I'm assuming that we went to see old Alabama town. And then we went to a park and ate lunch and it was hot. I don't think it was 110 heat index, but it was hot still. And then we went to the planetarium. And we went inside, and the air conditioning was on. And I thought, oh, this is good. And I sat down, and I could already feel my eyelids drooping. I thought, Haley, you pay attention. I'm going to take a nap. But then they turned the lights out, which didn't help me any, except help me go, go to sleep more quickly. But then the stars came out in the planetarium. And then they started talking about the constellations. And then they, they posed this question, do you know how to find the North Star? And that perked me up. How do you find the North Star? How do you find the North Star? And so it was explained to us that day. I don't know if you can see this picture very well, but can you see the Big Dipper here? And I learned this this day, and this stuck with me, and just made chills go all over me. You find that Big Dipper, you follow the handle down to the cup, and those outer stars of the cup, if you'll start at the bottom and draw a line up through the next star and keep going, it points to the star that's known as Polaris, the North Star. 
And I thought, wow. And then I've done some research and I'd heard of mariners of old and those traveling using the stars to guide their way. And this had to be one of those ways. Because you, if you have the right instruments, you can determine the degree from the horizon to the North Star and you find that, that degree and you'll know your latitude. And you can find true north. And I thought, what precision. What precision. And it just speaks to me again, not only of the power of God, but the precision of God. And folks, I left that day, I was wide awake without a nap. Because I was in awe. Only our God could do something like that. We need to stand in awe of the power of God. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, not one is missing. There's one other area I want us to focus on. An area, something about God in which we should always stand in awe. And that is His love. I want to go back to these other two things and point out how even these two aspects of, of, of His power and, and of His holiness and how they lead us to this facet of God, of, of His love. Let's stay in the stars for a few more, few more minutes. Wayne Jackson in an article about Psalm 19 suggests that, that when David penned this psalm by inspiration, that he may have been reflecting about one of those times when as a shepherd he would look up on a starry night. And you can imagine uh, away from uh, out in the country how brightly those, those stars would shine. And perhaps that's when by inspiration he wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. There's another occasion when these very things may have been on His mind as well. And that's Psalm 8. Look at this, these words. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Again, I envision David looking at the stars again and the vastness and the majesty of, of God's creation. And he's saying, compared to all that, what is man that you're mindful of him? And that idea of visit him, I've come to learn, means that you care for him. Why is it that you are concerned about man and that you care for man? He's overwhelmed by the power of God, but also overwhelmed by the fact that even with God's magnificent creation, He's concerned about man. Let's narrow it down. He's concerned about you. He cares about you. So stand in awe of God's power, but stand in awe of God's care. You remember this, 
verse we looked at a while ago, Psalm 147. He counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. The previous verse to that says He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Do you see a contrast there? Verse 4, the stars. The power of His creation. But verse 3 is intensely personal. He heals your broken heart. He heals your, your wounds. The one who created the countless stars cares about me. He cares about you. So be in awe of His powerful powers demonstrated through His creation. But as you do so, remember what the psalmist is pointing out. He cares about you. He cares about what's going on in your life. Cast your care on Him, for He cares for you. Think about the holiness of God again. Back to Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah saw this glimpse of God's holiness, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he felt unworthy to be in the presence of a holy God. But the vision doesn't stop there. In Isaiah 6, verses 6 and 7, one of those seraphim that were crying out about the, the holiness of God flew toward, toward Isaiah. And in his hand, a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. What had Isaiah just, how he, had he described his sinfulness? I'm a man of unclean lips. And now in this same vision, the seraphim has brought that, that live coal from the altar and touched his lips with the message that your iniquity is taken away. I forgive you. Your sin is purged. What was the message? It's the, it's the grace of God. You're forgiven. Your lips are no longer unclean. I've, I've cleansed them. It's a powerful message of God's forgiveness, of His, of His grace. And what we need to take away from that is what God did for Isaiah on this occasion is exactly what God wants to do for each and every one of us. Because like Isaiah, we should be in awe of the holiness of God. And when we contemplate the holiness of God, we should also sense our own unworthiness. Because we're the folks that have offended God's holiness. We're the ones that, that don't deserve to be in His presence. But just like that seraphim took that live coal and touched the lips of Isaiah's mouth, even so, God has given His Son to do for us what He did for Isaiah that day. But God commends His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for us because we were such good people. Christ died for us because we're sinful. We're unholy. 
And in our sin, we can't be in the presence of God. But Jesus died for us to save us from our sins. He who, ma he who made Him who knew no sin, Jesus, made Him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The perfect sacrifice paid for our unrighteousness. I love 1 Peter 3, verse 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Because of our sin, we're separated from God. We're unholy as He is holy. And He is most holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And we're the opposite. But Jesus is the way for that bridge to be gapped. For that, bri for that bridge to be spanned to be able to reconcile us to God through Jesus. What God did for Isaiah is what Jesus does for us. By the way, one more thing that Isaiah saw, you think about he's, he's caught a glimpse of the, of the holiness of God and his own unworthiness, but he's also seen the grace of God in his, in his life. And so God calls out to him, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's response is, Here am I, send me. Once we've received that cleansing through the blood of Jesus, that should be our response as well. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. I'm ready to serve you in whatever way you want me to. He saw his mission. May we see ours as well. Years ago, I read a story about a man who served in Vietnam. Uh, one of, he was a young lieutenant, and one of his men was injured in battle. And they couldn't get to him, but they heard him moaning. And finally, after listening to it for an extended period of time, this young lieutenant couldn't stand it any longer, and so he went to get him. And he managed to get to, get to his soldier and to drag him back and had just brought him to safety when he was shot and he died. That man that he had rescued recovered and made it back to the States. The parents of this young lieutenant who, who gave his life saving his friend, his soldier, heard that he was in town and wanted to invite him over. They wanted to get to know the man that their son gave his life to save. And so they set a time and the man came over, this soldier who had been rescued, but when he arrived, he was drunk. And his speech was horrible. And while they're sitting at this meal that's been prepared for them, the parents are just in agony. And they're trying to make the best of this awful situation. And it finally came to the point where this man was ready to leave. And they, they walked with him to the front door. And as he left... 
the mother turned to the dad and said, to think that our son had to die for somebody like that. But when I read that story years ago, I can't help but need to remind us God could say the same thing about you and from you and me. And we can we can say that to ourselves to think that the perfect sinless son of God had to die for somebody like me. But the beauty of it is that's how much he loves us. We're the ones that have offended his holiness. We're the ones that don't deserve to be saved. But God loves us so much that He gave His Son to die for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins through His blood and even added to His family. Again, God commends His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's keep God in awe. Let's stand in awe of His holiness and realize God is so holy we can't just come casually or flippantly into His presence but recognize that that Jesus is what enables us to be in God's presence and in His graces. Let's be in awe of His holiness. Let's be in awe of His power. One time... My family and I went to North Georgia. I was preaching in a meeting in Raven County, Georgia. I think that's the most northeastern county in Georgia. And, and it's in the mountains. And I would preach at night and we had the, the day to, to do what we wanted to do. And I've already told you, I'm from Flatlands. I want to see the mountains. We, clim- we climbed up... Uh, Raven Ball, the second highest point in Georgia. There's an observation deck up there. And for this flatland boy, that's an amazing sight to see. But when we were talking to the realtor that uh, rented the the house to us that week, he asked where we were from. I said, Mobile. I said, oh, that's where I go for vacation. I don't know what what evokes awe from you when you observe God's creation. If it's the mountains, visit the mountains. Or if it's the beach, visit the beach. But be in awe of the power of God. Folks, the thing that should evoke the most awe from you and from me is how holy God can love us, sinful man, so much that He would give His Son for us. Be in awe of the love of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we are in awe of You, of Your holiness, uh, just how You are so set apart from sin that You dwell in unapproachable light. 
Father, we're in awe of your power as we see it all around us in the starry skies or in the mountains or even at the beach. But Father, these things really pale in comparison when we contemplate just how much you love us. That you sent your son to die for us, not because we're such good people, but because we desperately need that grace. Thank you, Father, for loving us that much. And I pray, Father, that we'll never lose that awe that we should have because of your love. And Father, may that love move us to, to serve you with all of our being, to help others know just how much you love them and what you've done for them through Christ. And that how that through Christ, they can be saved from their sins. They can be reunited with you and be added to your family and one day dwell eternally with our holy, loving God. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Father, we want to bow before you in all humility and in all gratitude for who you are and what you've done for us. And we, thank you, we thank you most of all for the gift of your Son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you all so much.